Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and my guest today is Scott Volker. And Scott has just become one of our newest gold loopers. He finished the Great Loop aboard a personal watercraft. So a unique story, and Scott's going to fill us in on the details of that in just a moment. But first, I want to take a minute to recognize and to thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So, Scott Volker, welcome to Great Loop Radio. We can't wait to hear more about your story. Oh, glad to be a part of your podcast. Yeah. Start off just uh, since most of our listeners probably don't know you yet. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and tell us why you decided to do the Great Loop on a jet ski. Well, I was originally born and raised near Flint, Michigan, and uh, our family is have been crazy adventurers for years. My father and my uncle and a couple of their friends to raise money for the American Diabetes Association. When I was in the eighth grade, I uh, rode snowmobiles from near Flint to Yellowstone Park. It was a 2,280-mile adventure that they took in 1979, if you can imagine how old the snowmobiles you know, were then or what they how much different they are today than they were back then. Uh, they raised a lot of money for Diabetes Association. And I was in the eighth grade, and my dad obviously wouldn't let me go. So I said, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to do some some crazy adventures like that. So, um, and I selected uh, Orlando Sports Foundation, which raises money for um, breast cancer research through the Cure Bowl, which is a collegiate football game played in December down in Orlando, Florida, every year. And that was the um, the charity you chose to support through this effort. Yes. Uh, and what made me really decide, I uh, I sailed a sailboat from Sandusky, Ohio, on Lake Erie up to Mackinac Island and back, and it just seemed to take a took me 71 hours to get there. And I said, hey, I wanna I wanna be able to tour the Great Lakes in a fashion faster than a sailboat. And I I didn't really um, don't have the money for a huge powerboat to do that. So I thought, well, hey, I'll just do it on my jet ski. So uh, I decided to go from Chicago to Sandusky and realized I was going to be in three Great Lakes, so I may as well go up into Lake Superior. And so I decided the original trip to ride from Chicago to Montreal. I raised a bunch of money for breast cancer research. Um, some people made comments on Facebook. A couple gals said, hey, these pictures are beautiful and the story is cool. You should write a book. Um, I thought, well, I've never written a book before, so I wrote a book. And then when the book was in process and the trip was over, I thought, well, now what am I going to do? So then I decided to do the Great Loop. Yeah, well, I love that adventures like this are in your blood. And I love that your your dad set that kind of example for you back in the 70s. So what is there anything about uh, the particular nonprofit that you selected and that it supports breast cancer? Any particular reason behind that selection for you? Uh, just a, a corporate affiliate uh, down in Florida. Uh, a company called Softwash Systems um, that is uh, down in Florida. They were already raising money when I came on board with them as a dealer. They were raising money for um, Orlando Sports Foundation or the Auto Nation Cure Bowl. 
and I just decided that uh, obviously so many gals are affected with breast cancer that I just, uh, it was just a call to action to say, hey, how can I help? Um, when I wrote my book, uh, the, st the statistic was one out of every eight women will be affected with breast cancer at some point in their life. And now it's already been changed once the book was published to one in every out of every seven women. So obviously those struggles are for real. And when those gals get that news, that news is, you know, obviously devastating. Um, thankfully, modern medicine and technology has helped a lot of those gals survive. But when they get their news, that news doesn't go away. Um, Right. And there's a lot sure, of, of looper women who have uh, our breast cancer survivors, and I'm sure that they would be thrilled that that's the cause you chose to support. So let's talk about the actual details of your trip. Share w with us you know, some of the stats about how you went about doing this on a jet ski. Well, the first year was uh, 2017. I rode 2,030 miles um, from Chicago to Montreal. Again, I was just going to do a trip that encompassed all the Great Lakes. Uh, then when I decided to do the the, the Great Loop, I started uh, I started in Buffalo the second year, went across the Erie Canal down the Hudson River to New York City, then uh, down to I believe it was near Hilton Head, South Carolina. Um, then the next year I went from Hilton Head down around Miami, Key Largo, Key West, and back up to St. Pete Beach. Um, then in year four, which would have been last year, I was uh, 160 miles north of Tampa Bay. I was three miles offshore and hit something concrete in the ocean. Uh, it totaled my machine. They believe it was an unmarked oyster bed. Um, so I kept going because it only started to sink when I would stop. So I kept going for a couple wow. hours and got myself over to uh, a little town of Pansia, which is about 60 miles east of Apalachicola. So this year, uh, I left Apalachicola. I uh, got to New Orleans, and they said, hey, look, on a jet ski, you're going to be struggling for fuel all the way up. So I backtracked 180 miles in the ocean and uh, went up through Mobile. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it was over five years. Um, about how yeah. many days each of those years were you actually aboard doing part of the Great Loop? My total count was 42 days. So um, I averaged about 160 miles a day. My biggest day was 305 miles. That was uh, up in Lake Superior. And then uh, my second longest day was this year. I went from central Mississippi up through Kentucky Lake uh, and made it to Paducah, Kentucky, and that was 290 miles. So some days, you know, super close or just over 300 miles. And then some days were, you know, uh, we had some mechanical issues. So some days I could only ride, uh, you know, to only have time for a hundred miles after, after the machine got fixed. Sure. So, so many, so many questions <laughs> because it's such <Yeah>. a, <laughs> so many unique things about the way you did the loop. Um, you know, we see lots of, of questions in the past several months about doing the loop on a PWC. We see that in our Facebook group all the time. Um, and there were some questions recently about how, you know, there's always this, well, somebody's done it on a jet ski, but there didn't seem to be much information about who that was. And there is another person who wrote a book. But for those of you who are asking on Facebook, Scott is now one of the, the people who actually has completed it. 
all on a jet ski. And there are some who have tried and, and decided not to continue. Um, so, and one of those was someone who actually left from our spring rendezvous one year from, from Norfolk, Virginia. And so of course was just starting the Chesapeake, um, heading in the more traditional counterclockwise direction from what you did, Scott. But he pretty immediately hit some uh, rough sea conditions. Um, and by the time he had kind of finished the Chesapeake, he chose not to continue. He uh, was an older gentleman. Um, his feet were in bad shape from being wet all day. Um, just the sea state had really physically taken its toll on him. So talk about that a little bit. When you're doing, you know, 100 plus miles most days, how physically demanding was this? Well, um, it, it, it is tough. It, it, and it is also a mental monster monster um, because you have to stay calm in situations that are, uh, are rough out there. Um, the reason that I actually did the loop um, clockwise is because I had already been from Chicago over to Montreal. So it was just a natural progression to pick up from Buffalo and, and head down. So that's why I guess I went the wrong way. <laughs> no, uh, you can do it either yeah. way. Um, and yeah. <laughs> the reasons that most people go counterclockwise really don't apply to you on a jet ski. Um, you know, since you were cruising in shorter time frame segments, you know, meaning a couple weeks or so at a time, um, the seasonality didn't matter. I'm, I'm guessing you were primarily cruising in summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. June, and, June and July each time. So I went from Chicago to Mackinac Island in two days. When I left Chicago, winds were forecasted five to 10 knots. Uh, you know, I started riding and it actually started at five to 10 knots and built from there. So I only made it to Saugatuck. Um, so the next day I, I home run it. I started super early in the morning and rode all the way to Mackinac Island. And I was at sea 16 hours that day. Winds built that day too, so it was extremely, extremely difficult uh, physically. I'm I'm in my mid fifties, um, so I was pretty sore, uh, especially by the time I got down to Detroit on the other side. I only rode from uh, Port Huron down to Detroit and then rested the rest of the day. I don't think that you have to run a marathon before you get on a jet ski and do this. I think that the biggest thing is is you need to be mentally tough. And you need to come mentally prepared for anything. I, I think that common sense is going to be the biggest factor in doing the Great Loop on a, on a jet ski. Um, make sure that you have all the necessary equipment. I, I had a iPad chart plotter. I had two cell phones. I had a ship-to-shore radio. Um, make sure your gear is tied down. Um, write all of your plans in pencil. Uh, don't try to get to a certain place by a certain time. I just got up every morning and and kind of winged it and just said, hey, today I'm going to get as far as I can. And, and, you know, once I got as far as I could and it was a, a good time of the evening to shut down to have some place to stay. Um, yeah, you have to you have to just exercise a lot of common sense. Yeah, and let's talk about those logistics a little bit because, of course, if you're doing this aboard a 40-foot boat, your sleeping quarters and where you're staying for the night are traveling along with you. So on a jet ski, how did you manage where you were going to sleep? Um, how did you carry enough gear and food, or is that all things you picked up along the way? Well, some of it you learn as you go. Each year, each segment that I went, um, I learned a little bit more. Um, 
back in 1995, uh, on a quick sidebar, I, with my cousin Christopher, decided that we were going to do the length of the Mississippi River from Minneapolis to New Orleans on jet skis. That was the year that the Mississippi River flooded, so they shut us down in St. Louis. So then we ended up riding 900 miles up the Ohio from Paducah, Kentucky to Pittsburgh. Um, we raised money for the Diabetes Association, but I learned a lot there. And then I learned a lot from a friend of mine, Tim Vandersall, who had done a lot of jet ski trips up in the North Channel. And he helped me with the logistics of, hey, pack a hammock, even though you may not need it or you, you know, if you want to stay in a hotel, but if you end up something happens up north, you're going to want some sleeping quarters, you know, to, hey, take a hatchet, take things to build fire. Um, but as far as the logistics of my overall trip, I would just look um, like when I left Saugatuck, I kind of had in mind that I would make it to Mackinac Island, but I knew that if I needed to, I could maybe stop, you know, in, in northern lower Michigan, just find a marina and then just hope that there was a hotel. Um, I'm just that adventurous. Now on the Erie Canal, since I had been carrying this hammock, I thought I should at least use it once. So on the Erie Canal, the marina manager uh, was getting ready to leave and I asked him if he cared if I flung a hammock in between two trees on the canal and he said hey I don't care what you do I'm leaving in five minutes so that was only the only night of the 40 some nights that I that I stayed over that I slept in the hammock um, mostly hotels um, we do have someone from our marina that had their sailboat up in the north channel I stayed on a sailboat one night with my friends um, Stayed with a stranger once down in the Carolinas um, just because there was no hotels near. And I asked the guy, uh, you know, if there was a hotel within even 20 minutes. And he just said, hey, I'll tell you what, you can crash at my house. So I did that. So leave those. If somebody's going to consider doing it, certainly um, know that you just don't know what's going to happen daily. Yeah. And that. Uh one of the things I love about what you're telling us, Scott, is that even though some of the things about your trip are very unique, um, some things are the same as what we hear from other loopers, and that is, you know, the kindness of strangers is sometimes what gets you through. And um, the idea that, you know, you have a place in mind that you'd like to get to by that night, even though for you it may have been more miles than most loopers, but you kind of had um, that fail safe, well, if I can't get all the way to my plan A, my plan B is to stop at this marina. Um, so something like that is great advice, regardless of how you intend to do the loop, because obviously you just don't have control over what might happen on the waterway on any given day. So that's a, a great point about your story. Let's take a, a moment here and play a message from one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, I have a few more questions about the logistics, and I also want to uh, see what other tips you might have for others looking to do the loop in, in such a unique way. So we'll be back in a moment. This is a message from Steve, the dock master at Half Moon Bay Marina. If you're heading up the Hudson River, Half Moon Bay is 20 miles north of the George Washington Bridge. They have stellar dog walking paths and parks that start at the marina. They're the only deep water marina in a 30 mile radius, and the marina is fully protected with a wave attenuated seawall. Half Moon Bay has many services, including high speed Wi Fi, pump out, divers, mechanics, and access to enterprise car rental with free pickup and delivery. 
Half Moon Bay is very close to a local airport and train service to New York City, and they offer looper discounts at a local fuel dock. Stop by and see them when you're on the Hudson River. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we're talking with Scott Volker. Scott is one of our newest gold loopers, and he is a bit unique because he completed the Great Loop aboard his jet ski. Um, So, Scott, you talked a little bit about the sleeping logistics. Did you carry food along with you for during the day, or did you make stops for that? Or, you know, how did you take care of some of those basic needs? Water water for me was the most important thing. Um, As far as food, very little food, protein bars. You know, I would eat in the morning before I left, and then I would eat a big meal uh, when I came in for in the evening. But for the most part, just... uh, protein bars or, or just water. (laughs) Yeah. So a a few questions about kind of specific areas on the loop. What is it like in some of the locks? You know, you're in these immense locks with lots of water moving, um, probably tied up with some bigger boats, but what was that experience like locking through on a jet ski? Well, I think that uh, it, it is intimidating. In fact, uh, I did a video one day live on my Facebook, and some people said that their anxiety uh, kicked in just watching the video. Uh, there's <laughs> one lock on the system that's 89 feet. The, the water, when you pull into the lock, it's the chamber is empty, and we were raised 89 feet. So that was intimidating. The, the biggest thing is, is just to stay calm. If somebody's going to do the Great Loop on a jet ski, obviously don't do it on a small one. You know, I have a big, uh, bigger jet ski. It's 12 foot. It's a touring machine. Uh, bring plenty of rope. Um, you know, I would tie off to the floating uh, mooring device in the lock and you tie off there. I would push off with my feet just to keep the current when the lock is filling will kind of want to push your machine up against the lock. Um, might be best to just take a wooden, a one inch wooden dowel rod, two foot long, three foot long, tie it onto your machine. And then that way you can tie off, but yet hold your machine away from the concrete wall. Once you go through a couple of them, you kind of understand what the lock masters are looking for. And, um, you know, you just idle speed in, idle speed out, secure your machine. A ship to shore radio is a must. That way you can hail them on whatever channel they're monitoring on. Uh, you just, I would just simply come across the radio and say, hey, jet ski secure. And then that way they could cha- close the chamber doors and start to raise the water. Were some of them surprised to see you arriving on a jet ski at their lock? Yes and no. I think some of the, some of the locks where they're used to locking recreational vessels, they, they, they were not shocked. Now, I will say that coming in the Illinois River, especially the last four locks, they're they're not crazy about locking through. So, you, you know, potential loopers on jet skis should certainly call the locks and talk to the supervisors to make sure. Um, I had one lock that told me that they don't lock jet skis, but they knew now that I was already in the system, right? I had already come through a couple locks and I told them what I was doing and where I was going and what I was doing it for. But if somebody opts to do the loop, uh, not doing it for a cause, they should certainly call ahead to, to make sure that they get permission with uh, and attach someone's name to that so that uh, so they can make sure that they don't get to the lock and not be able to lock through. 
Yeah, that's good advice. Um, another question, going back a little bit to logistics. Since you did this in, in segments over about five years, um, we are, well, we're not seeing a lot of people doing this on jet skis. We are seeing more and more people do it in segments with vacation time from, you know, a traditional job. So the logistics of getting the vessel, whatever that vessel might be, to your starting point, and then having the trailer available at your stopping point for that segment is a little challenging for some. So how did you handle that aspect of it? Friends and family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, the first year, um, someone from my yacht club that lives uh, in Fort Wayne uh, with me just took me up, dropped me off in Chicago, and, and brought the trailer and, and the vehicle home. Uh, and that was kind of the theme. You know, I would uh, rely on friends and family each leg to to get me where I needed to be. Um this year, my girlfriend took me down to Tallahassee area near Apalachicola, where I started. She then drove the vehicle back to Atlanta. Then uh, I had a friend that I flew from Fort Wayne down to Atlanta. He picked it up and brought it back to my house. And then she flew from Atlanta to Fort Wayne to bring it up to Chicago. So, yeah, there's uh, there are some definite logistics involved in making something like that happen. The first year from Chicago to Montreal was a challenge too, because my, my son had to come from Fort Wayne all the way to Montreal to pick me up and bring me back. And he had just, uh, he was living in Australia at the time. So the day after he landed from Australia, I made him get in the van and come and pick me up in Montreal. So, uh, <laughs> uh that took some prodding, uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, um, any other tips or advice that you have for people who are contemplating something like this? I mean, I guess another question before we really get to tips is, um, what were some of your favorite parts? I know your mission here was to raise money for your nonprofit that you were supporting, um, whose ultimate cause was to support breast cancer research. But, you know, are there certain parts of the trip that you did have enough time to enjoy what you were seeing and, and do some exploring? Or was it, you know, kind of full throttle all the way? I'm a pretty competitive individual, so mm-hmm. I would I, I think that uh, I made a lot of notes of places that I would like to go back to. Um, I did joy, I enjoyed. Uh, my brother was in the Navy, uh, so when I stopped at uh, his marina and spent the night in Norfolk, Virginia, I did enjoy that leg from there on the intercoastal down to the Outer Banks. Um, my publisher actually lives in the Outer Banks. Um, so I spent the night with, with her, her husband, and she had many friends come over for the evening. I think the friendships that were forged, I think to know that I still, uh, have a great belief in humanity that people still do want to help. I, I really, um, the, I would say that would be the favorite part. It's all beautiful. It really is. The Great Lakes are amazing. Um, the river system is nice. Kentucky Lake was beautiful. I mean, there's, I would encourage other people. You know, if it's on your bucket list, hey, get it calendared or it won't happen. I think if there's any people that, any folks that are interested in doing the loop on a jet ski, um, please reach out to me or others that have done it just so that you, there's there's power in people uh, that have done this. And I, well, although I don't know at all, I've done it so I'd be able to help. And if they talk to a couple other 
jet ski loopers, they might get some information from them that may save their life. Um, so you always want to seek good counsel before undertaking such a, an endeavor. Yeah, that's great advice. And Scott, you, you mentioned that you had kind of done the Mississippi trip or you've had a, a pretty significant amount of experience on your machine before you went on and, and took on the Great Loop. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's very important for people who are, are contemplating this. It's really uh, not something to be taken lightly. So I appreciate you making that very clear as well, because, of course, we want everyone to make sure that they're st- safe out there. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that you were doing this for a good cause, and we've talked about that nonprofit. Can you, uh, can people still contribute, Scott, to your efforts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they can go to my Facebook, which is Scott Volker, C-O-T-T, last name Volker, V-O-E-L-K-E-R. Um, they can catch a day by day of, uh, this last trip, uh, great pictures and videos and on most of the most days post there's a link at the bottom that they can donate that way uh, another way that they can uh, participate is they can also private message me on Facebook and purchase the book which is called the ultimate Great Lakes adventure uh, a donation of a hundred dollars or more um, I will send them a book for free the book is $35 plus shipping and handling that is of the first leg, though. That is the 2,030-mile journey from Chicago to Montreal. So it's a great uh, and a beautiful picture book of the Great Lakes. Um, Outer Banks Press published it for me. Linda Lobby is the publisher. She, uh, she did an amazing job that um, really just captures that first leg. And if somebody's interested in doing the loop, obviously it's driving – sales of my book. It's raising money for breast cancer research, but it, I hope that if somebody that's interested in doing the loop that would purchase the book to be um, just to see the beauty that they will encounter that if they're on the fence of whether they want to do it or not, maybe it will inspire someone else to do the loop uh, just by the pictures in the Great Lakes. Yeah. Scott, it sounds like this type of adventure is in your blood. It sounds like this has been what you've been doing uh, to kind of scratch that adventure itch for the last five years or so. So what's next for you? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you should ask that. Um, next year, my son and I, now that he's uh, back from Australia, living back stateside, uh, to raise money for teenage suicide prevention, uh, the theme of the ride will be to find your adventure. And it's to get these kids outside and from behind a keyboard and get them to to fling hammocks, build fires, tent camp, you know, just find your adventure, be grounded with the earth as we're intended to do. We are going to ride uh, dirt bikes from New York City to San Francisco on a 108-year-old road called the Lincoln Highway. It, it ironically goes through right through Fort Wayne. Um, it is the first transcontinental road uh primarily for cars. Um, It was dedicated in the early 20s, and I think construction started on it in like 1913. So we're going to do that on street legal dirt bikes, uh, hoping to raise uh, a lot of money and a lot of awareness for teenage suicide prevention. That's another really inspiring journey, Scott, and we wish you and your son the best of luck with that. 
Um, I think you've definitely inspired some today, and we appreciate your time with that. And our, our other gold loopers and our regular listeners will probably recognize that you did the loop in this very unique way, but so many of the things you mentioned and that, you know, the people was one of the best things, so much in common as well, um, even though it was a unique way. And we encourage everybody to do the loop in a way that's meaningful to them, which is certainly what you've done, um, but still kept that commonality with what most gold loopers experience. So great story, Scott. We really thank you for sharing it, it with us today. It's been inspiring. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to join your podcast and certainly uh, in, encourage that uh, that there isn't an organization like the AGLCA um, that provides a lot of uh, tools for us out there um, to complete the loop with ease. So. Well, thank you for that. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.